Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every week at noon, Saturday. And this is a very special Saturday. This is a sorry day, Saturday. And uh, we are here to defend and promote public education. And that is education which is open to all children. It doesn't matter what their background, where they come from, what the beliefs of their, their parents are. And it doesn't matter whether they're Australian or Calathumpian or Indigenous Australian, which is Australian-Australian, uh, it doesn't really matter. Our schools, our public schools, are open to all children. And we have a website if you want to find out more about us at www.adogs.info. And here is press release 750 for this week. The reaction to the coalition's imposition of religious chaplains on public schools. The role of a guidance officer, school counsellor, particularly in a large school, is an invaluable one. If a child has problems impacting upon their learning in the classroom, the classroom teacher is able to solve those problems by sending the child to a specialist counsellor. The problems discussed and hopefully sorted out, out, sorted out outside the classroom in the privacy of the counsellor's office and the child can return to the classroom to concentrate on the lessons in hand. If you've ever been a classroom teacher, particularly in a big high school, the school counsellor is just so important if only for that reason. Before the dominance of the religious right in the Australian Government's coalition, state education departments, school counsellors and all guidance officers were required to have six years teaching experience and extensive training in educational psychology. These very well-trained employees did a sterling job in a public system which was open to all children with offence to none. But now, even with such secular training, the major and sometimes the only requirement for public school counsellors is, would you believe it, a religious one. Under the ever-increasing influence of its religious right wing, the federal government has granted a virtual monopoly to religious organisations for its school chaplaincy programme. The program, on which hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayers' money has been spent to date, was introduced by Mr Howard. And there's a further $247 million committed over four years in last week's budget. And it was specifically designed to push religious pastoral carers into Australian schools and exclude those holding secular values only. Despite the opposition to them, from the civil 
society, the coalition is as committed as ever to this religious chaplaincy program. In early March, the Fairfax newspapers reported on a major lobbying effort by religious conservatives within the government to not only extend the program but to make it a permanent indexed commitment. There's a group of more than 30 coalition members who were led by the British MP Luke Howarth, who's a youth leader of the Brackenridge Baptist Church, Uh, And they all signed a petition calling for an increase to $25,000 in annual funding per school. The Evangelical Treasurer, Scott Morrison, did not provide all they wanted in the budget, but he did find $250 million and promised the program would be permanently funded. That's an extra $250 million. This situation, of course in a secular democracy like Australia, is outrageous. And dogs would contend that it contravenes Section 116 of the Australian Constitution. But on administrative, not religious liberty grounds, the scheme has been struck down twice by the High Court to rise again and again through Section 96 grants to the states. And these are tied to the provision of this chaplaincy program. Critics are saying that only religious people are hired for the roles despite the fact that pastoral care is and should be non-religious. Critics of the chaplaincy program in the past and the future see legal action as the best bet, but they're not putting all their eggs in that basket. Back in March, a dozen secular organisations jointly wrote to the Australian Human Rights Commission seeking that it investigate the program as an interference in the right of religious freedom. And in reply, the Australian Human Rights Commission President, Rosalind Croucher, declined to undertake such an investigation at this particular time. And she referred them instead to the Commission's submission to Philip Ruddock's review into religious freedom in Australia. So what does that submission say? It recommends that the government set up an independent watchdog to collect and analyse data on religious discrimination and restriction in the ability of a person to educate their children in a manner consistent with their religious belief. Now, there is a legal challenge on the way here in Victoria, we believe. And the Saturday newspaper had it all about it on the front page last Saturday. And this next legal challenge involves a counsellor called Julie Armstrong. Julie holds a Bachelor of Education degree and a postgraduate diploma in counselling. And after gaining the second qualification, she spent 10 months unemployed. Now you've got a very highly qualified person here, And the problem for her getting employment was her religious qualifications, or lack of them. There are a few exceptions, and Armstrong's one. She actually did get a job in the end, but she's about to become the plaintiff in a case that will testify the legality of the government's religiously discriminatory policy. 
According to the Saturday paper, the vital link in the chain for this legal case in VCAT, not in the High Court, is Armstrong's long job search. Having found herself unable to get work through the big religious providers of chaplaincy services because all their advertisements required that applicants be committed to Christians, she eventually found a smaller operator, which was called On Psych, which mostly provides psychological services in Australia but does a sideline providing non-religious chaplaincy. We got involved when the Gillard government changed the program to allow secular workers to be involved, says on-site managing director Martin Grigg, and he managed to get around 25 places. But then... The Abbott government reinstated the requirement that chaplains be religiously affiliated. The High Court decision making states responsible for allocating funds further complicated matters. And suddenly, says Grigg, we had seven versions of a camel in the various states. Thanks to a chance encounter with a progressive Uniting Church minister, Grigg found a way around the secular ban. There's actually a ban on people who are school counsellors being secular, not religious. This is truly outrageous in a so-called secular democracy with separation of church and state. The definition of the word chaplain in the guidelines says that workers must be ordained, endorsed or approved by a religious denomination. Now, the Uniting Church contact was happy to endorse non-religious chaplains provided they were otherwise qualified for the work and so Armstrong was able to work in the three Victorian schools that she's currently employed in. Gratis of a rather nice Uniting Church minister. The other key connection is Meredith Doig who's president of the Rational Society of Australia and Associate Professor Luke Beck, who at the moment is a Monash University expert in constitutional law, specialising in issues of religious freedom and the relationship between church and state. And here in front of me, I've got his book, which has recently been produced. It's called Religious Freedom and the Australian Constitution, Origins and Future by Luke Beck. It's a very interesting book says quite a bit about the dog's case and says quite explicitly that the High Court got it wrong. That doesn't mean to say that the dogs agree with Luke Beck's interpretation of Section 116 either, but more of that later. I'll have a chat about that later. But Luke Beck is a few steps forward, certainly. Now, Doig went to see Luke Beck and they discussed a number of legal options before deciding the best one was to take a case to the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal. Meredith Doig says that Luke Beck is very confident that if we found a suitable plaintiff then a case could be made that both the Victorian Department of Education and the religious bodies that are licensed by the Victorian Government to supply and train chaplains are acting unlawfully. To have standing and get into VCAT, Doig says that they needed someone who was deleteriously affected by the current state of affairs 
We needed someone who could truly sign an affidavit saying they had been put off by the religious requirement contained in the job advertisements placed by the Christian organisations licensed by the Victorian Education Department to recruit for government schools. And so they needed someone who was otherwise perfectly qualified to do the work of a chaplain. And Armstrong, Julie Armstrong, fits the bill perfectly. So off they're going to VCAT and the dogs will watch this case with great interest. But the problem is, one wonders just how genuine a lot of these chaplains really are. A good question, um, if they follow the, uh, the Bible, is about making other people Christians. But these chaplains must be religious and atheists are prohibited but they're meant to only provide pastoral care and the program guidelines expressly prohibit the chaplains from actually preaching or proselytising. So one wonders just how deep their religious belief really is. And perhaps it might be defensible according to Luke Beck and others, in the case of religious schools which have an exemption, and the dogs would question that since they take so much public money. But in every state throughout Australia, there are anti-discrimination laws that say that you cannot refuse to hire someone because of their race or gender or religion. Yet the federal government's religious requirement is built into the funding for the states, which then gets built into that into the contract that the school enters into with the labour hire firm. And the job ads online and elsewhere placed by those church affiliate recruiters say that you must be of some kind of religion. Now, in the next case, they won't be suing the federal government directly. They'll be suing the organisations committing the religious discrimination by directly advertising the job. And they will also be suing the State Education Department for facilitating and encouraging the discrimination. You can't pay someone to break the law, which is what the Victorian government is now doing, and they can't say, well, the federal government is paying us to break the law. So they're hoping to win the VCAT case, but I wouldn't get my hopes up too much knowing VCAT. Um, But you never know, and they will seek orders preventing those religious providers from ever placing ads that breach anti-discrimination laws and ordering the Victorian government to never again authorise someone to breach the law. And the hope is that such a result would force the Victorian government to open up school chaplaincy jobs to everyone with relevant professional qualifications, which would in turn mean they contravene the requirements of the federal funding. So it's a catch-22 situation that the federal government has placed the Victorian Education Department in, isn't it? So we will be watching this case with great interest. Dogs have opposed the chaplaincy program since its inception, and they wish those taking this case to VCAT well. So that's our press release 750 uh, for the information 
of our members and our readers and those who are listening to this program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. That was Bach's Concerto for Two Violins in D minor for those music aficionados. I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners do turn up for the music, our Dogs Program, but we are essentially the defenders of government schools, essentially, fundamentally and generationally defending government schools because we need to. Very interesting press release there from Jean relating to the school chaplaincy program. I think it's worth pointing out, Jean, that there are there, there is a school system where you can have access um, 
very open access to trained psychologists in schools um, that don't have any religious affiliation and do have professional training. Um, and those schools, of course, are private religious schools. Um, Geelong Grammar, many years ago, and they still continue, um, got $4 million from the federal government to set up a wellbeing centre. In that wellbeing centre, the great, 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 great capital expense to the population of Australia, they set up their wellbeing centre and populated it not with chaplains, not with ministers of religion, not with people who had the requirement of um, some, some faith-based requirement to work there. No, with trained psychologists, with clinical psychologists, with developmental psychologists, and, of course, with all the psychologists who are trained in the new inverted commas science of, of well-beingness. Um, so if you do want to um, um, involve your child with professional psychological services in the education setting, um, you just have to pay for it in Australia. Um, I think the absolute fascinating thing is that in Australia, if you want to get counselling services in a secular state school, you have to go to a man or woman of religion. And if you go to a religious school in Australia, you can go to a um, trained non-religious secular (laughs) psychologist. Um, It's it's an extraordinary situation, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's... the hypocrisy is just so open. There's, there's, there's no reason for it. I mean, there's, the rationale just doesn't work. The, the answer to the question of why you're doing this, if you ask the federal politicians, is just because. You actually have to go back to basic principles. In a secular democracy, you must have a wall of separation between church and state or between religion and the state. And if public money is going to any organisation, then... Religious demands or religious uh, people should just not not be involved at all. At all. At all. It's the only way forward. It's, it's it's actually a very basic principle. Mm. They worked it out in in the beginning with the American Constitution. Our forefathers understood it very well, and unfortunately, this very basic principle has been forgotten by all, excepting perhaps the dogs. Now, Luke Beck, who I was referring to later, he's halfway there, but his view of Section 116 is that it is about religious intolerance, that religious intolerance must not be um, is illegal under Section 116. Well, the dogs go further than that. You're not going to have intolerance uh, illegal until you separate out religion from the state. Indeed. I mean, I can actually think in in myself of of, of one potential uh, where an exception could be made in this context, in, in the context of Australia, in terms of religion and the state and separation, because when... My ancestors first came to Australia. There were people already living here. And they had a fully formed society and civilization. And the belief systems of that civilization um, were downtrodden and overridden. In fact, they were the, the, the people of the land who lived here. And if I was in a state school, I want to know about that. I want to know about the land upon which I stand. And I don't, I don't think that crosses the secular sacred boundary, although I'm, I'm sure many Indigenous people, of which I am not, um, might ha- want to have that discussion. But as someone who lives in this country and was born in this country, I want to know about the people who walked this land for forty to 60,000 years before I did. And I want to know about that in my education, in a primary school, in a secondary school, and in universities, because that, to my mind, is what makes us unique. And I'm saying this because I'm saying it on Sorry Day, because that's what it is. It's, it's, it's National Sorry Day. 
Now, whether you think an apology is an appropriate way to go about dealing with this, and whether you can talk about the fact that there is guilt without shame, or indeed shame without guilt, in terms of the people who came after the Indigenous population, which is all, I, which is the only perspective I can talk of. I can't talk from any other perspective and it would be wrong for me to attempt to moralise about this. I'm talking about education and the search for knowledge. And yes, our state schools are secular schools and there should be no religious test for any person working in a state school. Especially, I mean, I don't even understand the concept of chaplains being there and indeed being paid to be there. Because I know many um, many religious people have, have a deep sense of, of social paying back. I mean, it, it's part of their religion. And I know many religious people who work with and around state schools as volunteers because their faith of one form or another compels them to do so. I actually don't have a problem with that at all because um, that's sort of no proselytising clause. I mean, I just think that's a given. But to my mind, the Indigenous question when it comes to Australian education, I think it's to the very heart about what a state school is about. I want to talk about this. I want to combine two particular topics because everywhere here, every week here on the Dogs, we talk about the great state schools. And I'd like to talk about a great state school. It's not in Victoria. It's up there in Cairns. It's a wonderful little school. Well, it's not that little, actually. It's the Waree State School up there in Cairns. So if you're listening to this, not on the airwaves, because I know our transmitter doesn't quite get to Cairns, but if you listen to this on the podcast, hello to all our listeners in Cairns up there. I'm going to talk about the great state school, which is the Waree State School. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> The Waree State School. Congratulations, you are the dogs. Um, great State School of the Week. Um, let me tell you about Waree State School. Waree's it's, it's actually, it's not out there in the bush, it's not out in the scrubs, it's in the outer suburbs of Cairns, or in the outer, outer, outer ring of Cairns, in a little suburb called Waree. Well, it's not that little, because it's a primary school, it's Peter Six, and there's almost 700 kids go to it, so it's quite a big primary school. Half of those kids are Indigenous. I'm going to say that half of the kids in this school up, up there in Outer Cairns are, are Indigenous, and 31% come from a background, language background other than English. So if you talk about the principles of a state school, which is free, secular, and universal, this school is about as universal as you get. Um, around about 80% of the kids here are from the lowest two quartiles, so they do not come from wealthy families when it comes to their the income of the families at home, and about between 55 and 60% of those kids are actually from the poorest parts of Australia, from the poorest families in Australia. 3% of the kids at that school are from the richest quarter of Australians. So this is a school where half of the kids are Indigenous, three quarters of the kids are significantly poorer than the rest of Australia, and 31% come from a background, language background, other than English. Now, we often talk about ICSIA values. The ICSIA value for all of Australians is, is, is around about 1,000. If, you, if you're down below 950 in terms of your combined ICSIA value, then you are really into the struggling families of Australia. This school has an ICSIA value of 866. It's way down there. Now, what are they doing? 
because once, as and, and any teacher can tell you, once you cross the gates, once you cross the, the gates of a school, the culture of the school is, is, is the most important thing. What are they doing up there? What is the culture of the school? Well, it was built in the 1980s. So it's a school that's, in terms of facilities, they're now getting quite old. And it's in the southern suburbs of Cairns. It is a prep to year six campus. Um, and the current enrolment, as I say, is around about, around about 700, probably a few more kids. How many teachers are there? Well, there's 56 teachers for 750 kids. So class sizes are quite large. How are they doing on the dreaded NAPLAN? Fine. In fact, compared to similar schools, they're doing more than fine. They're doing excellent. In fact, when it comes to spelling at Worry, they are doing spot-on brilliant. When it comes to comparison with schools all around Australia, obviously because of the fact that in Australia is a fact, and I'm going to keep saying this, it is a depressing and disgusting fact that if you come from a poor family, your education outcomes are poor. That's a fact in Australia. It's not a fact in other places in the world, but it's a fact here. And I say the word fact with a capital F because I just think it's disgusting. Um, but compared to all, compared to similar schools, they are absolutely kicking goals all over the place in reading, in writing, excellent in spelling, excellent in grammar, and also in numeracy. On everything you can test these kids on, they're doing really well. Now, what's this school all about? Look, it is inclusive. By definition, it's inclusive. And in fact, the really nice thing about this school is it's on a massive campus. It's got two ovals, two basketball courts. It's got an adventure playground. And in fact, it's got little tunnels and underground adventure playgrounds as well. It has an e-learning centre, thanks to the funding from the Queensland Government. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's located in a really pleasant place. So the grounds, that the kids have some space to roam. It's not sort of crammed in into a high-rise place. It's got lots and lots of space. And from their point of view, the things that are important from their point of view is disciplined learning, respect and safety. Those are the things that you will get when you walk through the doors of the Worry State School. Now, I don't often do this. So firstly, I would just like to say congratulations to Worry State School because when it comes to Indigenous education in Australia, this is often considered and often just put in the too hard basket. And when something's put in the too hard basket, there's one school system in Australia that's going to pick it up, and that's the state school system. If any other system's going to pick it up, either the Catholic school system or the independent school system, which they don't, but whenever they even think about doing it, they publicise it, they market it, they talk about it. This concept of education as charity rather than a right takes primacy of place whenever a private school system says they're going to deal with the Indigenous problem, whatever that may be. Well, I tell you what, I'm not going to talk about the Indigenous problem. I'm going to talk about the Indigenous solution. I'm going to talk about the Indigenous life that goes on at Wurri State School. I have to say I've never been there, but I'm looking forward to turning up because it sounds like a lovely place to be. But so I don't often do what I'm about to do next, which is do a compare and contrast. Because down the road from the Wurri State School is a little place called Our Lady of Help Christian School. And when I say down the road, I mean down the road. I mean a couple of blocks away. I mean you can kick a footy at it. Probably wouldn't quite make it on the first bounce, but second and third bounce, the footy, if you kicked it from Warrior State School, would arrive at the front gates of Our Lady of Help Christian School. It's technically in a, in a neighbouring suburb in a place called Earlville, but it's basically the same place. So... These two schools, we've got the Wurri State School, Kicking Goals with Indigenous Education, which I think is important to talk about on this very special day. And down the road, you have Our Lady of Help, 
Christian school. Now, Our Lady of Help, who are they helping? Well, let me tell you about the kids in this school. The kids in this school, there are six, well, 27% of the kids in this school come from the richest families in Australia. Now, so this isn't about the poverty of the community surrounding it. I'm now talking about a school down the road where 27% of the kids come from the richest families in Australia. 36% come from the second highest quartile. So you have 60 to 70% of the kids in this school just down the road from the richest half of Australia at Our Lady of Help. So that's who Our Lady of Help are helping. They're actually helping the richest children in Australia. 9% of the kids come from the lowest quartile from Our Lady of Help in, 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 in that school down the road. Now, I'm not actually usually quite so vicious about a school down the road that's a private school, but I think in this context on Sorry Day, it's important to talk about how state schools and how private schools deal with the, well, the indigenous people of this country, the people who were here before my ancestors were. Now, in this school, Our Lady of Help, 7% of the children come from an indigenous background. Not half, not 49%, 7%. And 4% of the kids from Our Lady of Help come from a language background other than English. That's called tokenism. Absolutely. The Ixia value for this school just down the road, so this isn't a different city, not a different suburb. I'm not talking about Broad Meadows and Turak. I'm not talking about two different schools in two different but They're in the same place. Ixia value for Our Lady of Help is 1,050. So it's way above, well, it's, it's substantially, significantly above the national ICSI value. So you can, you can see what's happening. Two schools, one down the road from the other. One, proudly open to all. The other, not so much. So let's just talk, let's just, let's just talk about Warrior State School because, you know, always, you know, man, I'm always giving financial advice. How much does it cost to educate a kid at Warrior State School? Now remember, if you average, kid in a school in Australia to educate an average kid, the one, you know, the single average kid, the median kid, around about thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars. Worry State School, fourteen thousand six hundred and twenty four. Bearing in mind that half of the kids at Worry State School are from an indigenous background. And so therefore Worry State School has and I, I can't go into it because I don't have enough time, has a large number of tailored and supportive programs for the indigenous population of Cairns. So they've got extra people in to do this, and they're still doing it on that amount of money. What about Our Lady of Help? Well, there you go. They're doing it a bit cheaper, not surprising. They're doing it for around about $11,000. But that's because there are almost no Indigenous students, there are almost no poor students in that school, and there's almost no students who come from a background of language other than English. And they charge fees. And they most definitely charge fees. But you know what? Between the state and the federal government, they're coughing up $10,000 of that. So my taxes are paying for Our Lady of Help to take all the children that they want, the easiest ones, the ones from the richest possible families, put them in a little box on its own, separate from all the others. And I'm paying for that, 10000 bucks a kid. Well, we are, not just me. I'm not the only taxpayer in the country, but we all are doing that. So, I mean, it probably doesn't sound very... Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It probably doesn't sound very um, uh, nice. <laughs> 
very gracious of me to do a, to a direct comparison on state schools or great schools. This does not take away from the fact that the Woori State School is doing a great job. But I think it really lets you know when it comes to, on, on a day like today, on National Surrey Day, and when we talk about the relationship that we as a country have with the people who lived here before my ancestors arrived, and it's important we talk about it on a day like today, we talk about the state school system and what it does. And I can tell you, what goes on in the Woori State School is going to be very different to what goes on in a school in Broadmeadows or a school in Berwick or a school in Lakemba or a school anywhere because state schools are not this one big homogenous mass they're accused of. They reflect and respond to the needs of the people and that's exactly what the people in Woori are getting. So congratulations up there in Queensland, all the way up in Cairns, Woori State School. You are our dog's great state school of the week. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You've got, like, you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got vis- physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? It's actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the Outdoor school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive great Positive relationships with each other, with the teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. It's coming up to that time of year again. Time for you to fight for your mic. In a few weeks, we'll be asking you to help us, the dogs, the defenders of government schools, to continue the struggle for another year by donating to 3CR's annual Radiothon. So get ready to fight for your mic and for your community's great state schools during Radiothon 2018. Yes, well, we have to raise well over 6000 and um, we're looking for, to our members and our listeners to dig deep. I want to talk about Chicago and some research that's been done there. And the reason I want to talk about what happened in Chicago is that a very similar thing happened here in Victoria. 
In the 1990s, Jeff Kennett came along and closed a lot of schools. And there are people who are still trying to open those schools. It was, in fact, traumatic for a lot of school communities. And nobody has ever done the research on what actually happened to the children who were in those schools and the parents. Where did they go? And what happened to them? And how well did they do? Because many, many people were actually traumatised. Their schools meant a lot to them. And I know people who have since grown up and said, well, they closed my school. When they're asked, what school did you go to? They will say, they took it away. Isn't that a terrible thing to have to say? Well, it happened in Chicago too. Uh, There was a whole lot of uh, schools that were actually closed. And... uh, Diana Revich on her blog has told this story. Fisk Elementary in Woodlawn is one of 14 welcoming schools that the district forced to change buildings when they took in students displaced by the 2013 mass closings of public schools. And this led students who already attended those schools to transfer out at high rates. Lamont Morton Jr. was in fourth grade when Chicago school officials closed his West Side Elementary School in 2013. So Lamont transferred to a welcoming school a few blocks away where officials said he and other students from his closed school would receive the supports they needed to make the transition. Before the closure, Lamont's teachers had recommended his parents seek out a selective school where Lamont would face greater academic challenges. But after changing schools, Lamont fell behind in math and he had to stay after school to catch up. This is a quote. Some of the stuff I needed to do was complicated, he said, and they needed to help me get where I needed to be. And... uh He said that he noticed that uh, one of the teachers said that he noticed Lamont and his younger brother both were struggling and he suspected the the stressful transfer to a new school had something to do with it. But like Lamont, there were thousands of students who experienced negative academic outcomes after the 2013 school closures, despite the fact that officials promised them a better education, according to a sweeping report released by a team of researchers at the University of Chicago Consortium on School Research. I mean, this was what Mr Kennett offered too. He said that these schools were not offering our state schools were not offering sufficient curricula, and so he closed them. The study that has been done about what it meant is the most comprehensive yet to evaluate the educational, social and emotional impacts of the city's decision to close an unprecedented 50 schools in 2013. And what have they found? They have used a combination of data, surveys and interviews with students and the school staff and they have reached the conclusion 
bolstered by early research in Chicago and other cities, that closing under-enrolled schools may seem like a viable solution to policymakers who seek to address fiscal deficits and declining enrolment. But the findings show that closing schools caused large disruptions without any clear benefits for the students involved. Now, the officials said that the main reason they closed school in two, schools in 2013 in Chicago, the same as Mr. Kennett back in 1993-94, remember? The reason given was to save money. But, in fact, that money was never saved. And one of the most troubling findings of the Chicago research is that students from closed schools saw long-term negative effects in maths, in particular, students who were tested two months were behind their peers in maths the year the closures were announced, and that gap persisted for four years. And researchers think that this could be due to how children learn math. If they miss a key concept early on, it's much more difficult for them to progress. Students in the closing schools were also about one and a half months behind their peers in reading the year the closures were announced, and those reading scores did rise back to expected levels but two years later. Students in the welcoming schools tested about one and a half months behind their peers in reading the first year after the closures, though their scores also redounded the next year. Now, the researchers are hoping that these findings will be taken into consideration as Chicago and other school districts across the country weigh the pros and cons of closing schools. Chicago officials imposed a five-year ban on shutting down schools after 2013. And that's what we should do here in Victoria. We should actually do research, and we should have done research long ago, on the real effects of what happened in 19, the 1990s. We do know that it did have a, a bad effect on large numbers of children because we know those children. But I tell you what, at Richmond Secondary College, there was a whole generation of young people who were politicised when we occupied that school and refused to let Mr Kennett close it. And in the end... The battle for that school closed Mr Kennett down and I'm sure he hasn't ever really recovered from that. But that's all I wanted to say. Back to Robert. Thank you very much, Jean. Oh, we can take a little break now and we'll um, come back with some more. Oh, dogs, defenders of government schools after some music. When the day is done, down to earth and sinks the sun, along with everything that was lost and won. When the day is done, when the day is done, hope so much your race will all be run. Then you find you jump the gun. To go back where you began when the day is done. 
it all Just to show life's not made of gold When the night is cold When the bird has flown You got no one to call your own You got no place to call your Welcome back to the Dogs Program. That was Nora Jones and Charlie Hunter. Charlie Hunter there. The day is done. Well, it's not quite done because you have to keep fighting here on the Dogs Program, but it's nice to sing about it. It's nice to sing about relaxing. Um, just to finish up on our little little hour here, defending government schools, I, I was reminded of a story when I read an article in, in the, I think it was the Australian, about what's going on at Trinity. Remember Trinity? Mm-hmm. Where Brownie, good old Brownie, what he did was he got a pair of scissors out and cut a boy's hair because it was too long before the school photos. 
and um, well, heaven and hell, and all what Trinity about. So all hell broke loose, and Barney got sacked because you can't go around with a pair of scissors chopping at children. And the people and the parents of Trinity said, oh, yes, you can actually. That's a really good thing. You should do that because because that's that, that's values. And so in the end, they put pressure on the principal to reinstate Brownie. And so Brownie was reinstated with his scissors, although he did say he wouldn't use them in the same way again. He was somewhat chastised, was Mr. Brown. Um, but now what's happened is, of course, that the backlash of this eternity is that the principal himself, Michael Davies, the man who did the sacking in the first place, has now resigned. Um, well, resigned, he's been sacked. Um, people in the school are very happy. Half, half of the school board's gone and now the principal as well. And so they can get on to proposing... Um, the values of, of, of Trinity College that involve um, students being allowed to have their hair cut spontaneously in the uh, in the playground by by random teachers. Oh, look, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm sure there was a very good reason why Mr. Brown decided to get a pair of scissors out and cut the hair of a child in the playground. Mr. Brown sounds as if he had an awful lot of guest talks about oh, it. <laughs> he might have even had a bit of a sense of humour. I don't know. It's, it's a storm in a teacup, but it did actually remind me of a, of a more important story. I and mean, in a story that I heard about two schools of fish. There's two schools of fish swimming around being happy little schools doing wonderful things and all the fish are happy. Sounds like your Dr. Seuss. Yeah, there's, 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 all, all these schools, all the fish are getting a lovely education until one day a giraffe turns up and the giraffe says, I, I, I want to join your school. And one school of fish says, I don't think we're a school of fish. We don't enrol giraffes. Go away. And the other school said, well, actually, no, we've we got this thing in our school where we have to... We have to be open, we have to be free, and we have to be offensive to none. So if you're a giraffe, I suppose you can come and be part of our school. And so all the school had to get together, and because they're in the sea, they had to build some land for the giraffe to stand on. <laughs> and they had to have inclusive classes so that all, so everything that was learnt could be learnt by giraffes and by, by fish at the same time. It was, all, it was all a big faff. The other school are going, oh, you silly people, we're just fish over here. We're not having to spend all this extra money and do all these extra things to educate giraffes as well as fish. But after a while, of course... Did the giraffe learn to swim? Oh, well, the giraffe learned to swim, and, 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 and the fish, they were learning all about the things they'd never learned before because they had to build the land for the giraffe to stand on. Anyway, some more giraffes turned up, and so now you've got a school full of fish and giraffes, and a lot of money's been spent. It's been just been a faff, I tell you what. And then a bird turns up and says, oh, I wouldn't mind coming to your school as well. And the fish and the giraffes are going, what, what? We haven't got any sky. We've just got the sea and the land. We can't educate birds here. But, you know, we are the sort of school that's inclusive of everyone. So what they did was they all got together and they thought about it and they adjusted their curriculum. So all education was in the water and on the land and in the sky. And so everyone's going, oh, it was a huge, it was great trauma in the school. It took a great deal of effort from everyone concerned. The poor fish, the parents of the fish were sort of a bit grumpy because all of, all of, all, all of the resources weren't going just to their fish. They were going to all these birds and giraffes as well. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, the other school sitting there very smug saying, well, we're not wasting all that time. We're just educating fish over here. Anyway, after a little while, a mole comes along and says, oh, I wouldn't mind having some education. I said, well, we have to go find out what's underneath the land as well. So they had the land and they had the sky and they had the sea and then they dug down into the land and then all the moles and all the giraffes and all the birds and all the fish are getting this education all together. And over in the corner, there's the other, other school of fish going, <laughs> look at those stupid people faffing around educating things in the sky and on the ground and under the ground and in the sea. We're just a proper school of fish. We just deal with the sea and that is it. 
And I think the moral of the story is that you have private schools and you have public schools. And the public schools up there in Wurree, they take what they're given and they do the very best that they can. And so all the children in a state school, when they get their education, they just don't learn about one part of the world in which they're from. They don't just learn about the sea. They don't just learn about the land. They don't just learn about the sky. They don't just learn about what lies beneath. They learn about it all because that's the people they're studying with and that's the people who they live in the world as they learn. And then you have private schools, private schools that exclude We don't want you. Why? Because you're the wrong colour. Why? Because you're the wrong religion. Why? Because you don't have enough money, for goodness sake. How can you possibly think about coming here? You are poor. You can set a scholarship exam if you like, but really, we'll patronise you while you're here. Don't you? Don't you? you, No one in the playground will ever let you forget. So that's what we're here to defend here at the Dogs Program. We're here to defend the school that teaches everyone, the school that makes the effort... The school of fish that has to learn how to include a giraffe. The school of fish and giraffe have to learn how to include a bird. Because whatever state schools have thrown at them, they succeed. The teachers, the principals, the parents, the kids, they get together, sometimes more effectively than others. That has to be said. State schools are not these great places of altruistic goodness paid for by taxpayers. No, you have to work at this stuff. Every school is different. But they tell you the one thing they're not. They're not the school that excludes people. They're not the school that says you have to have your hair this length, otherwise you can't come through. They're not the schools that just educates the fish and does that very well. Sure they do. Oh, I'm sure that, that old school of fish that just did fish educates fish extremely well. But educating fish in the sea and never looking beyond does not give you the experience you need to live in the world as a whole. Especially if they're stranded on the land. Well... Well, one way or the other, you've been listening to the dogs program. Sorry if sorry if I can get all, all, all Rudyard Kipling on you, but it was just something that occurred to me when I was reading this story about the Trinity headmaster getting sacked because he sacked a child, he sacked a teacher for cutting a hair, child's hair. It was all just a storm in a teacup. It's now blown over and everyone's very happy. But I think it tells us something about Trinity. And as we found out today, something tells us about the Wurree State School, that great state school up in Cairns. But until next week, from the dogs, the defenders of government schools, it's bye for now on Sorry Day. But one more thing, of course. If you do want to find out what we've been talking about, you can get hold of us on our website at www.adogs.info. www.adogs.info. And if you can't remember that, you can just go to the 3CR website, which is 3cr.org.au. And if you... Do you have an interesting state school you'd like us to tell, us, to tell the world about? Give us, give us a call at the radio station on 94198377. Radiothon's coming up, but sorry day today. So, bye for now. It's more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't. Standing there as big as life And smiling with his eyes Says Joe what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill 
fighters strike and organize. It's there you find your hero. It's there you find your hero. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe. You're ten years dead.